Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Mail podcast. On today's episode, Ian and I are joined by Amy Kaufman. Amy is a New York Times and internationally best-selling author of young adult fiction. Her multi-award winning work has been published in 30 countries. Her latest series, co-authored with Jay Kristoff, began in 2015 with the international bestseller Illuminae. Raised in Australia and Ireland, Amy has degrees in history, literature, law, and conflict resolution. She lives in Melbourne with her husband, their rescue dog, and an extremely large personal library. In the media section, we chat about Killjoys, Pirates of the Caribbean, Weird, I know, Logan Lucky, and others. And for the topic, we talk about science fiction today, and its continued evolution and renewed interest for young people. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are coming to you from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am joined by Ian Laking. Ian, how are you going? Pretty good, Joel. I've uh, I've got my scarf on, though. Tonight it's getting down to three degrees here. It's going to be cold. It's getting really cold. I've noticed, and I've mm. said this before, but the colder it gets, the quicker my intro becomes. Oh. So in the warmer scenes, I'm like, hi, in the morning, <laughs> Bell. Po-. In the winter, I'm just like, it's a morning Bell podcast. Can we get this just over with so I can just leave, please? Um, but no, it's 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 really nice, though, when it's cold. Do you like the cold, Ian? I do. I love the cold. It's true, actually. Is that the inner Kiwi in you? Yeah, look, I would, I would opt out, and I have opted out in the past for trips to the Northern Hemisphere during... Uh, summer here yeah. to avoid the summer heat. That's mm-hmm. how much of a traitor I am to the to the summer weather. So I've heard mm. that um, Iceland mm. is actually quite nice in winter. Oh, I but don't. That Greenland mm. is a death trap oh. in winter. It's like, funny. Yeah, I've done Iceland in the what's June? I guess the summer. Summer, summer. summer. like summer. early summer. Yeah. In Iceland, then it was divine. Uh, yeah, mm. I mean, you were in a coat, but yeah, yeah, you know, it was so lovely. Like just right. It was absolutely beautiful. Although the locals always said you could tell the tourists because they were the only ones wearing, wearing sensible wearing coats. Wearing the clothes. Yeah, right, there you go. <laughs> like, all the locals were like walking around, you know, in, in stupid cardigans, yeah, but yeah. looking really good. Yeah. yeah, right. All these, all these. Um, it's it's a bit like whales when the sun like peaks out for like yep. maybe one percent of the, the summer, and everyone's just sunbathing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I grew up partly in Ireland. Like there you we, go. we would like get our lily white legs out at mm-hmm. just a hint of sunshine. Yep. It's just like man, it's amazing. <laughs> anyway, we have a guest today, Amy Kaufman. Welcome to the hey. podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. <laughs> um, so curious thing mm. the other day. Um have you ever not gotten on a bus or public let's just say bus. Mm-hmm. If you know there's someone you know. And you just don't want to get on the bus with that person. Would you wait 20 minutes or an hour for the next bus? Or would you just get on and just deal with it? Oh. I... I think mm. I would just get on, but mm. I would try awfully hard yep. to not make eye contact and to yeah. I'd have my headphones on or I'd be faking a phone call and I'd be... Yeah, hid yeah. fr- down. Yeah, mm. hoping that they wouldn't initiate contact. Mm. Right. I mean, I'm assuming I don't like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah, pretty yeah, social, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. Yep, I'd go with that yeah. one, Joel. Uh, yeah, probably the, the former. I don't know, 20 minutes of my time? Mm, yeah. No, probably not. An hour? No. Hell no. Hell no. Joel, don't tell me you waited an hour. You waited an hour. You did it. Yeah. Oh, wow. I hope you had something good to do for that hour. And good is not walking home. Uh, Well, my phone died and uh, my Kindle was dead. 
Wow. Are and you I even alive? Forgot yeah. To, your forgot to bring my book. <laughs> and so I just sat there at four o'clock when all oh the school goodness. kids were yeah. coming through. and uh, Like the quiet existential horror of yeah. no devices and only your own company. I know. Sounds Isn't like it horrifying? Realizing that you were terribly mm. alone. Yeah. Mm. It was like 40 minutes. Okay. Right. It felt like an hour. Yeah. Were the kids good to listen to? Oh, heck no. Uh, <laughs> let's be real here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. I know I've got a whole short story I wrote that, that's going really well. It's based on eavesdropping on a combat conversation on the train. Wow. They were talking about how to break to their parents mm-hmm. the concept of the gap between what their parents would like them to apply for at uni <laughs> and what they right. wanted to yeah, apply yeah. for at uni. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And they were sort of, literally, this group were like coaching each other and yeah. like role-playing conversations and practicing yeah. how they were going to tell mum and dad I, I don't want to do engineering. Yeah. It looks yeah. awful. You know, it was you know, really I think the, the best, um, convers- and what I mean by the best, I was I have a habit of taking the bus around about when school breaks hmm. um, when I was doing that other job. And I would get to listen in on what I would have imagined, you know, young people talking about <laughs> and getting to imagine that now um, again <laughs> in reality. And it was really interesting because... I'm sure I didn't hate my parents that much. Like it was ridiculous sitting there, and uh, this this girl picked up the phone, and she's like, "Ma, I really want you to pick me up. Like my train, my bus is an hour late, and I really want to want you to pick me up." And she put the the phone down. She's like, "Man, she's such a bitch." And I was like, "Oh, wow. this is." Uh, oh, I hope she's this, not coming to get this you. This is uh, <laughs> taking a turn. Yeah. Well, one day this Optimus. is going to feel very familiar to you, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it was. Oh my goodness, ridiculous! You get the you get the angels and you get the the well, not so you, angelic. You forget. I mean, it's been a little while since I was a teenager. Now, yeah, uh, almost, I, I really don't think I ever said mm. that though. Like you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I just kind of. I think let's be let's be real, Ian. Let's just not try and relate. Right. Let's just condemn. Oh, let's just let's <laughs> just no. You don't want to relate. Jim. No, no. You just oh, like but yeah. Come on, I write YA. Yeah, oh, there yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> be the relatable one, <laughs> then, Amy. Exactly. No, I don't know. I mean. I'm I'm kind of an unabashed fan of teenagers. I think they're oh, kind they of amazing. Go. I think they're it, You're the ying so, to my yang. Well, they're so interesting right it's now true. because they're growing up in this incredibly connected way that mm. that nobody mm. who's even, you know, I'd say in their late 20s did. Like mm. it's happened recently and they're all so politically aware and so engaged and so connected and so informed about stuff. And I think, you know, again, even people from sort of their late 20s up, mm. a lot of them and and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, I think, would identify with that you didn't find your tribe till you went to uni. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. where you'd find a club or whatever. But that doesn't have to be a thing now. Mm. You know, yeah. they're out there on the internet for you. And I think that's kind of amazing. You know, the interesting thing, and I, I want, I'll put this to both of you and see if, see if this is a fair thing to think, mm. is that I think that every generation has their... Um, has their niche of where the most amount of learning or culture or um, awareness or self-awareness really takes place. I think for, um, I think it, it like, it goes in these ebbs and flows, right? We had this sort of cultural, political awareness in the 80s and, and this sort of thing in the, in the Vietnam War and all, all of this sort of centered around university culture quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So that informed a lot of decisions and a lot of um, the way people were developing as human beings. Right. Mm. I think, 
I think for me, I think that that space is now moved younger mm. and university is now a different kind of a space where instead of trying to find your identity at uni, you're more individualistic when you get to uni. Yeah, well, I mean, I think access to the kind of information and the kind of conversations yeah. that you need to make those discoveries about mm. yourself has just moved younger. Yeah, You yeah. don't have to be in a tutorial getting your first idea of this stuff. Now, Absolutely. You know? it's, yeah. it's on Tumblr. Yeah, so. yeah, it's true. And I mean, uh, you know, I spent my day job working with young people for the last uh, year up until just recently. And uh, you realize like connecting back into the world that as it is for young people is, is mm. such a different thing. I'm grateful for having grown up just at the birth of the internet and um, and not having my mistakes potentially, uh, you know, eternally online. I oh, my we goodness. We grew up at the absolute at oh, the yeah. cusp was the perfect time to be growing up because oh, you had yeah. access to yep. the internet and all its wonders, mm. but you weren't yet able to immortalize yourself yeah. on it. Exactly. I, and, and I think about some of the stupid <laughs> yeah. things. I perfect, was, perfect balance. Yeah, <laughs> it was because you know it's what? True. I was an eloquent teenager, yeah. mm. and I would have I would have done well on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all yeah. of my very self righteous opinions would still be there. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I I have there's a forum out there where, where I was like, which thankfully has disappeared now, like. Where I spent a lot of my time when I was eighteen, like you know, get on it, internet lyrical. sleuths. Oh yeah, good luck finding <laughs> find it. Find the but, archive um, page. It does exist somewhere. <laughs> Link it to me. But I, I mean, I'm just, I'm really grateful for that because I think about actually, it increases the pressure as well. The pr- so there, are, there are really great benefits to online mm. access, but there's also a lot of pressure and Absolutely. a lot of uh, danger. Yeah, there is danger, sure, but like a lot of risks involved in that, which are hard to navigate, and things that that we never had the pressure of doing mm. when we were younger, and especially the, um, the, uh, wow, we're getting deep here, but you know the the optimal life that you see so many so much yeah. portrayed on Instagram, yeah. Snapchat, yeah, yeah, just like yeah. and everything is lux and bling, and if you don't have this, if you're not, if you're not consistently you know, happy all the time. Well, yes. and you know, yeah. like, so I, I use Instagram stories mm. a lot, which is, mm. like, for those unfamiliar, it's little 10-second videos that vanish after 24 hours. Oh, and that's how it works. So okay. I use it daily and do three or four videos daily in which I just talk about what I'm doing with my writing process. I started mm. it back in July when I was drafting a novel that month. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I'll just pop on and say, oh, today I'm going to try and write 2,000 words on this project and that yeah. project, and I'm mm. doing this and doing that. And Bit whatever. of a diary kind of a thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. diary thing, and I've sort of, quite incidentally and accidentally built a little community around it. Right. And so, you know, I a couple of weeks ago I was speaking on it and I in a, in a kind of very conscious response to that everything must be curated and everything mm. must be perfect. I instead popped on it and said, "Oh, you know what? I'm not having a great day today. I'm really anxious today and there's yeah. no reason for it. But, mm. you know, little brain's just not my friend and I'm not feeling great. Mm. And so, and, and I talked about what I do in that situation. Yeah. So, you know, surround myself with all the things I know will help, like, mm. you know, good cups of tea and the dog and, yeah. you know, talk to people and go for a walk and all that. And I was inundated with messages mm. from people yep. who had never seen someone that they admired before sure, a little bit of yeah to yes, that kind yeah. of day yeah. and saying oh gosh me too but i saw that you tackled it so i did today too yeah. and i mean that is like not to pretend you know a superhero amy sort of but it feels are. good yeah but, you feel like you've helped well yeah. and they clearly i mean it, it helped me enormously yeah. frankly to have a bunch of people mm. be like yeah i'm not having a great day either but it was mm. so interesting to me that stepping out of that kind of curated thing mm. had such an impact on them 
It's um, and, and I think Amy, you've gone to the heart as well of, of mm. something to do with the writing process that uh, that I've often said is that, uh, you know, people love to present the um, the writing process as the as the muse on their shoulder um, came to you and you produced your first draft was your final draft, um, you know, like and that's you know that, that's what they do. You're quite right, and yeah. it, it is actually an intentional thing that people do to say, "I oh, look at me, the the amazing." Um, I'm not trying to take a dig at anyone here, but it is what's presented as kind of like, "Hey, this is how it works." Mm. Whereas the reality is a lot grubbier, and and life is a lot grubbier. Than mm. what you see, and if, if all you go on with life, and when you're a teenager, the world is a lot more idealistic often, mm-hmm. um, unless you've had contrary experience. And uh, I know it certainly was for me. And so to have someone come along and just even poke a hole in that canvas is yeah, is and a not big in thing. a negative way, mm. but just to say, hey, so the way I build a story is brick by brick. Mm. And they see me show up on those little videos every day and say, today I am going to write two thousand words, and I'm going to plan a chapter, and I'm going to do this and that and the other, and then you know come back the mm. next day and say, oh. So I've realised that yesterday's chapter actually probably went in the wrong direction. So I'm going to have to tackle mm. that. That that showing, you know, I mean, I'll, gosh, I would kill to, you know, but I think yeah. mm. there are very few people whose first drafts are their finals. And even for mm. the ones who are, and like for me, like an example of that would be C.S. Picat, you know, mm. who really yeah. almost writes one draft, but she spends two years planning yeah. first. There's been, a, there's been an entire so yeah, process. She's not doing it any faster. Yeah. She's mm. just doing it differently yeah. and one would argue her efficiently I think her outline is a draft yeah i think you know i don't yes. think she'd disagree with that yeah. because yeah. it's so detailed so mm. yeah i think yeah i think being honest about that stuff is mm. important same as you know there's that that image of you know everyone likes to talk about how they're suffering with mm. their writing oh yes and yeah. you know that there were all opening veins and uh. i think it was liz gilbert in big magic which i'm a big fan of mm. talked about the rebellious act of being an artist who enjoys their art yeah and I really mm. liked that because yeah. I'm an artist who enjoys my art. Yeah. I love writing. It's heaps of fun, even on a bad day. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. And yeah, oh, yeah. It can be it can be hard, but there's there's hard's it, not bad. Yeah. That's right. Well, there's that thing where it's it's hard but good. It's like uh, it's like living in a big city. Often it's it's harder than living in a small place where everything's kind of easy to get around mm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's good. You know, yeah. like yeah. hard but good. I think about. You know, when I've when I've visited a place like New York, and I'm like, man, it's sometimes it's so hard here to just get from it's one intense, place to other. Yeah. It's intense, but man, it's good. I would, yeah. And I was just about to say, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's exactly it. And you, <laughs> you know, it's it's a good thing. Um. So just as a side note, if you're a young person listening to this, you can do it. Just thought I'd say that. Uh. You know, you're hearing real people say about the the kind of the struggles you go through. It's true. They're, yeah. they're absolutely. Absolutely. Real. Yeah. And, and but they're not bad. No, the, no. Would you you wouldn't trade it for the world because that also you learn grows you through. as a person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the story that comes easy doesn't doesn't have a lot of depth. Nope. Oh, you there know? you go. There's your quote. Well, I think the <laughs> life true. that comes easy doesn't have a lot of depth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, there we are. Wow. <laughs> no, I mean yep. my life is fantastic and I'm mm. lucky. It's full of awesome stuff. Yeah. But gosh, like I've worked for There's it. And a lot things of work have gone involved. wrong, you yeah. know, as yep. well, and things have been hard, and there's been yeah. you know grief and setbacks and. Mm. I just think that that all adds to who you are. Mm. Absolutely. Well, look at this. Wow. Look at this intro, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Couldn't have planned it better. <laughs> Thank you all for playing to the script. I thought I spent a long time on the on those Ooh, words. I'm glad you draft. did it justice. Fantastic. Uh, let's move on to the media section um, mm. and chat about what we've been watching. Ian, let's start with you. Yeah. So, um, look... We won't labor on it, but uh, Game of Thrones, I uh, obviously watched, uh, enjoyed kind of seeing that come to me. I will say one thing, though. I think it's 588 days uh, on the day of recording this until the next episode comes out. So that will be quite a wait. That's not a small wait. No, so almost two years. Um, and so that's going to be a while. So we won't be discussing it mm. for a while <laughs> until, a break, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> until the next book comes. So that kind of works. Oh, um, yeah. 
But other things I've been checking out, uh, I, I managed to get through and ended the American Office, which was a fantastic series. Mm-hmm. Um, and series nine just really well paid off. Interesting in, in the, the Office that, uh, you know, a lot of the core writing team came back for the ninth season, and man, it's it's quality. Uh, not that the the eighth, seventh, and eighth weren't great, but the the ninth season just really uh, ran home hard, and it was good to see a return to that. There are not many series that you can utter the phrase "the ninth season really went well." Oh my goodness, no! You know, usually by <laughs> then they're just crawling along. And What's just... the Walking Dead up to now? Seven, uh, I think seven. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know, I saw this fantastic thing online the other day where they were reimagining TV shows mm. as um, as children's games. So I think Game of Thrones, they were Im- imagining it as a game of D&D where oh, the GM yes. has turned against the players. Yeah. And they were saying <laughs> that, that the walk- they were imagining The Walking Dead as, I think, a game that kids were all playing after school and every yeah. time someone got wiped out, it was that their parents said, you have to come home now. Oh yeah. my goodness. It was, it's so really good. good. There's, I think someone set up a subreddit about it as well uh, on Reddit mm-hmm. too. So you can go uh, if you google that you'll be able to find the that's yeah fantastic um so yes ninth season of the office and they ended strongly so yeah good good payoff there so if you're thinking about committing to the to the office i do i can actually say yes definitely do it uh we started the spiritual successor in the mindy project which took a lot of people from and uh saw a couple episodes of the handmaid's tale Ooh, which is think? yeah i i really enjoyed so i read the book when i was a teenager joel me too yeah, teenager? Yeah. Joel? yeah uh child so joel was very young 10 yeah and i mean mm. well but i feel like this is actually unusual because a lot of people i've been speaking to did not read it yes. when they were young yeah. and i think it was it was incredibly formative reading it so yeah. young because mm. it was completely unlike i don't know for you about you guys but unlike anything i hadn't I read, read anything read. like it yeah no. i just had a very forward-thinking bookseller yeah. <laughs> that recommended it to me yeah, I had a. Um, it was, the timing of it was not great for me because mm-hmm. I had a, a, a wonderful teacher who was a very ardent feminist, and at the time, as a, as a teenager, I didn't handle it well because mm-hmm. there were only two mm-hmm. males in the class. So, to my great shame, we were kind of like, uh, whatever. So, our cynicism yeah. got in the way of us enjoying it. But watching the series, I was like, yeah, this is really fantastic, mm-hmm. and I can see that that the um, aside from how it's shot, uh, I think that there's a reality behind it which isn't actually that far from. Like you think about how could a dystopia form. This is how. Yeah, Yeah. it's not that far Mm. from what could happen. Very interesting. Mm. But uh, yes, I really enjoyed uh, what I've seen so far and the cast is fantastic. Uh, Have you seen Amy? I I actually haven't seen it, although everyone I know has, because I think I found the book so Mm. confronting when I read it that I've sort of been gathering my reserves and trying to get myself to a point where I think I can watch the series and I haven't managed it yet. Yeah, and they are going to do a second season, so I'm not sure how they're going to handle it Gosh, exactly. Really? Um, what was the pace of the first one then? Um, it's it's like it's not moving really fast, but they and they, they've mixed things up. Like it's not totally true to the book okay. in terms of how it's going. Um, look, I, I kind of treat it like I treat all of these things, like a fan fiction, really well done kind of interpretation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would recommend it to anyone who's thinking about watching. It's just a... Um, yeah, a really good series. And, uh, of course, the book as well I would recommend to anyone. Mm. Um, and my wife read it just before watching the series and she really enjoyed too. So, hmm, it's good. Fantastic. Amy, mm. how about you? What has been on your media list? Uh, so I have just discovered a TV show called Killjoys. Right? Which, yes. you know, sometimes okay. you find something and you feel like turning to everyone you know and saying, you, you had sh- one job. Okay, yeah. How did no one tell me this existed? Oh. What is wrong with you all? <laughs> a sci-fi show, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's sort of a if you liked Firefly type show. Ooh, yeah, right. it's about a, about a pair of intergalactic bounty hunters. And mm. we're only a couple of episodes in, but it is great. Yep. It is 
original and clever and the settings are really interesting to me. Yeah. Okay, Amy, I mm. need you to convince me to watch Killjoys again. Oh. Okay. Because I watched 15 minutes of mm-hmm. Killjoys after watching a show called Dark Matter and I don't Oh, yes, I've seen I've, I've seen season 1 of Dark Matter. I've only seen season 1. And then I've got to be honest, I got a little bit cross about something that happened at the end of season 1 and I'm taking some time to recover and then I'll go back. <laughs> I wasn't too happy with no. <laughs> the ending of Dark Matter. No, and but and I'm told that I will Apparently, I will be okay if yeah. I watch season two, but I'm so I just sure. haven't done it. <laughs> no, yeah, it, no. so it's sort of the same thing here. I was yeah. pretty disappointed, and then I and then people were saying, "Oh, you should watch Killjoys because mm-hmm. that's the you know yep. it's sort of similar in that yeah. regard." So I was like, "All right." I started. I I got to about fifteen minutes, and mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy it. I just couldn't do it, and I didn't know why. It just wasn't clicking. Tell me either it gets better or I missed out on something or... I mean, I think it gets significantly better. For me, what I like about it is, one, I think the production values are pretty good for a TV show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's from the Sci-Fi Channel and for me it's sort of a... Like another show that I liked from the Sci-Fi Channel was Continuum, which Mm. I thought had, you know, good production values and like a reasonably high sci-fi quotient. I feel like this one also has a reasonably high sci-fi quotient in terms of, you know, will it's in space and technology and so on. But the other thing that interests me about it is, you know, I mean, good science fiction asks big questions about kind of who we are and Mm. what we're going to be Mm. and what the implications of our actions are. And it's about a pair of bounty hunters and the kind of premise is there are all these different kind of complex worlds and governments and borders and so on. Mm. And then there's this kind of independent body of what are called reclamation agents. And Mm. if you have a warrant to be executed that a court has issued, so for somebody who needs to be arrested or stolen property that needs to be recovered, then if they accept that warrant, they will carry it out no matter what, no matter Mm. who gets in the way, no matter what they learn, no matter what excuses are made. And Mm. so by its nature, it raises a lot of interesting ethical questions because often, you know, they'll accept a, a warrant to deliver a person to a place or to, to get a thing. I see where this, yeah. And then they yeah. begin to learn more about the story as they yep. go, but they right. are bound to continue it. And Intergalactic so debt uh, collectors. Yeah, yeah. It, so it, yeah. It almost sounds like a um, like when you follow a quest line in something like The Witcher or in, um, uh, you know, any of those games yeah. and you discover stuff as you go along and they're going to put a moral choice to you. Sounds yeah. kind of like a similar kind yeah, of concept. Yeah, there's a lot of moral questions. Mm. And even, and I mean, like, again, I, I won't spoil anything because I really think it's worth a watch, but in... Yeah episode two you encounter a setting which is a city that rebelled and eventually the way this was handled was they fenced it in they bombed it back to the stone age and anyone who survived was left locked inside right and seems efficient right well i mean the thing is it worked yeah but you know it's sort of what i was saying to a friend about it today i what i think i like is if you just want to watch it as like a romping action series you can do that Mm. but if you want to think to yourself well is that ever acceptable and Mm, if i were in that city what would i do to survive would i do the things that i'm witnessing on this show to survive so Mm. i think it it does a so it asks questions yeah and and in that way that gives you a little distance so you can consider them so Mm. and thoroughly i mean as i say i'm only a few episodes in so maybe it's all gonna shatter go downhill I mean, they're in season three now, so they've clearly found okay. an audience. Wow, you season know? three. Right, and and it made it this far and right. no one told me and I'm really, frankly, okay. not over maybe, that Maybe I'll go back in. Maybe there you I'll, go. I'll give it a shot. I'll tweet at you, Amy, and yeah. be like, Do I you. blame you. you know what? Yeah, yeah, if it's still terrible, let me know. And if I get further ahead, I'll, I'll and discover Warn it's me. awful. Mm. Yeah, just oh, stop, stop now. Yeah, stop. <laughs> 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 it's not worth it. Just enjoy what you have. <laughs> 
turn around. It's like yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, let's um, just talk about Pirates of the Caribbean just briefly. Sure. Right. Um, this is. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been wanting to talk about this for a very long time. Go and on. I want someone to tell me if they like where Pirates of the Caribbean is going. Is it still going? Oh, <laughs> Lord. oh it's still going. Oh, I have to admit, yeah. it, it lost me. Yeah. Uh, partly because I just got too cross at Johnny Depp and didn't want to support his art anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But mm. I, I got really cross lately when, you know, like all of his ex-managers came out and said, oh, and by the way, he was terrible. And, mm. and did mm. you know that he beat Amber Heard? And I'm like, mm. why are we believing you when mm. we didn't yeah, yeah. believe Amber her Heard. when yeah, yeah. she told us? Mm-hmm. Um, so that sidebar there on yeah, why that's right. I don't yep. want to support Johnny Depp's yeah. art. Um, but I don't know. I kind of loved it at the start. Mm. It was so oh silly goodness. and rompy and yeah. swaggery and kind just... of that perfect line of poking fun at yourself but still also being quite inside of itself it was serious. Yeah, it yes. had a yep. internal consistency that yeah. made sense yeah. right up until it didn't anymore. And then it had nothing. Yeah. And then it and then yeah. it was all the quirks and the jokes and the and the, and the funsies. It became the... Yeah. And it became the it's like when a side character becomes the main character of the show and then you're yeah. like, "Wait, I only liked you because you were a In foil." Yes. Because that's what yeah. you were. Well, and and I think there is that thing of Taking itself seriously, uh, yeah. Mm. That you know, it, I mean, it, it's very tongue in cheek, but the characters, but there's still gravitas and seriously. yeah, And I don't think the characters are anymore. Yeah. If, if you look at the first movie, it, it lost me about the time they were swirling around that giant whirlpool. I remember watching that. It was the third, yeah, movie third movie at World's End, uh, and I was like, wow, no, I'm done because, like, I I agree. Once the parody becomes the story, yep. uh, whereas in the first movie, it's just fantastic. It was great. And there's just so yeah. much going for it and. It's genuinely so much life. Yeah, yeah, I can still remember some of those engaging scenes. Where you're like, "Ooh, is this is the supernatural element actually yep. a thing?" And that was the beauty of yeah. it. You didn't so good. know. And uh, it's actually, you know what it is? Almost, it's like when you show the monster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then everything's gone once you. Show. So they said, "Oh, and supernatural is a big thing." In yeah. This. And yeah. Like, and seeing that and having that scene shot so well with Jeffrey Rush's character Captain yeah. Barbosa mm-hmm. walking out into the moonlight mm-hmm. and then drinking the rum, like. It was just such a well-shot scene. Mm. And then all that meticulousness and just disappeared. And I just don't understand. The reason I bring that up is because Mm. I see that that's the way a lot of TV shows happen to go for me, right? Yeah, they Mm. start out with so much more. Yeah, exactly. The premise is so much better than the reality of saying, I want to see so much more of this. Well, you don't really. No. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think... Mm. (coughs) Yeah, yeah. Sorry, listeners, I have the same cold everyone in the whole of Melbourne has. Yes. Um, I think it's it's like I've had this discussion with um, with mm. my co-authors a lot that mm. if we wrote what readers actually tell us they yes, want to write, I mean, you don't want to sound mm. all kind of, trust me now, I trust know what's me, better know what for I'm you doing, than yeah. you do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if I wrote, like, you know, for instance, my first series with, um, with Meg Spooner, Starbound, mm-hmm. if I wrote what all my fan mail asks me to write as a follow-up, you'd get one giant book showing the wedding between two particular characters. Yeah, right. They don't actually want that. Yeah. I mean, unless someone's going to stage an invasion mid-wedding and, you know, it's going to turn into an action adventure, which yeah. actually now I'm saying that out loud, Sounds I'm like, cool. mm, go on. Yeah. But Some Rick and Morty in there. <laughs> <laughs> True, but... Yeah. Mm. <coughs> That made me laugh. Um, but but I think, you know, there is an element of don't 
give people what they what they need, not mm-hmm. what they tell you they want. Because yeah. the the reason that that we think we like things is usually not too much. Like sugar. We, we look at Pirates of the Caribbean and say, "Oh, I liked it because it made me laugh," but that mm. wasn't that why isn't we liked the reason. It. Yeah, no, but we all do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you dial that up to eleven. So I mean, we're gonna see it, and it's not far away now. Stranger Things season two will come. They've shown the monster, and yeah. now we're waiting to see what's gonna happen. And they've confirmed season I, three. You know, oh what? my, oh my goodness, yeah, yeah that that it's rocks me confirmed. the wrong way. So I don't know why. I mean, we're gonna find out. I really hope. Look, I hope more than I, anything. Yeah, I have trust that the season two will be good. But the yeah. fact they've announced season three before two's come out just makes me really nervous. I just mm. yeah. Look, I I just I want it to be good. Um, but like season one was enough, and like the fact that it ends with you know the, yeah. the cliffhangery piece was actually good. It's yeah, kind of nice. That kind it's of like, War of the Worldsy looking thing at yeah. the end was incredible, and I would have liked it to stay. I can live in with my that. Imagine. I love stuff that doesn't wrap up with a bow. Oh, exactly. So yeah. good. Like imagine if the you know, okay, spoilers on Inception. But if you mm-hmm. know, if, if the spinning top had, had ended differently in Inception at the end, mm, you know, you right. didn't you didn't need it to. You know, you know actually a lot of people would disagree with you on that. Oh, I'm not one of them, no, but I well they can p- feel free to tweet me. But yeah. uh yeah, you know, like I just I <laughs> And follow I, uh, at <laughs> IH Lakin on yeah, Twitter yeah. and Facebook. <laughs> um it's it's just that that um yeah, that moment of which continues the discussion I think is great. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, but never explain yourself at the end. Yeah, so, no. it's like know. a it's like a good joke. Don't take time. Yeah, yeah. 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 What was funny was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Anyway, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Jump the shark. Yeah, there you also, go. Also, not enough Ooh. ladies. Oh like, yeah. Oh my. Well, they had in, they had one one. How many in the first? How many ladies would there have been in the first? Trying to think. Well, I mean, there was Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. And then I think there were. Well, I mean, there was some saucy. Pirate wenches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the place. That's it. The town. The town they went to. True. Yep. Doesn't get much better, does it? Really. No, it doesn't. I mean, and and then when they, I mean, in I remember seeing a couple of women in future films. You know, on the Council of. Of mm. Supernatural bad people. Apparently, they've done like some twist on the whole. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Kira Knightley's character. I, I don't uh, know. Elizabeth Swan. There you go. Right. Um, they've mm. done a twist on her in the latest Pirates of the Caribbean one, but I have mm. no idea because I haven't seen it because I saw it and I was like, anyone's this is wandered just off. Yeah. 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 True. yeah. yeah. Not as many ladies as I would like to have. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fair. As I like in my media. Yep. That is fair enough. Um, what else have you watched, <laughs> Amy? Uh, so I saw Logan Lucky at oh, the how was it? cinema. Yeah, do tell. I really liked it. Mm. It was like a you know it was a Steven Soderbergh film. It was like a good old fashioned heist movie, yep. uh, and it was set in West Virginia. Yep. But it was not poking fun yeah. at the rednecks, yeah, yeah, yeah. or at least not without ever making jokes that they wouldn't also laugh. Yeah, laugh. At, at, you know, yeah. yeah that yeah. like you know when the main it's character's a, daughter yeah. is going to a beauty pageant and it is that full on. I think that Australians especially find very full on. Yeah. With the very made up six year old girls. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. But there was never any sense of her being ridiculous. Mm. It was just all. That was a yeah. serious part of her life, and yeah. she was just doing it, and it was yeah. great. Um, so I thought it was very clever and very funny. Yeah, and I mean, it's got Channing Tatum, it's got Adam Driver, it's got you Daniel know, it's, Craig, it's got Daniel for Craig for some weird reason. <laughs> well, and apparently so, he did a really good job. I in that thought one. he was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think maybe if one was super familiar with West Virginian accents, maybe you'd have some yeah, bones yeah. to yeah. pick. But I'm not. So yeah, it so it was great. Me at all. Yeah. And, you know, the same as I think we can pick a bad Australian accent, but, yeah. you know, yeah. the Americans are like, yeah, that sounds legit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought it was fantastic um, and it was very clever. And I heard that all of the crew and all of the cast actually worked for scale mm. plus profit share because really? they just loved it. 
and they wanted to yeah, do it. Yeah, they just it. wanted to be part of and it. And you know, sometimes you look at a movie and for me... You like just the, think they the, have fun. That's exactly yep. it. Mm, like yep. For me, like Blues Brothers is the perfect yep. example yeah, of that. Right. You just look and you're like, you can see the fun behind their eyes, you know? Mm. these The cast and crew on Logan Lucky just had fun. Yeah, it looked like they had a good time. Movie, you can tell. So cool. That I really enjoyed mm. as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I have been remarkably... Uh, bad on the on the media <laughs> front in the last couple uh, weeks so I don't really have much to talk about um, and that's it great <laughs> well you made it easy girl there you go fantastic <laughs> sounds, sounds like you have plenty of room for yeah, killjoys yeah that's right True. I have a very yeah. full life thank you very killjoys. much killjoys coming uh, <laughs> um, let's move on to the topic <laughs> gives us more time to discuss the topic mm. um, and that topic we are deciding to go all in on having a chat about science fiction. Mm. Uh, we've done this a couple of times with different genres. We've talked about YA. We've talked about YA. We've talked about a lot more YA. Yep. <laughs> um, That's it, there's where just the cool a, kids are. There's mm. just a lot of the conversation to be had about that. We've had a conversation about um, fantasy, and now I'd like to push that on to having a conversation uh, about science fiction. Mm. Um, now, whereas f- fantasy is something that I can definitely, I have a lot of, you know, it's it's my genre in many sense, so I yeah. can dig into that very much. I'm relying on you guys to to, to <laughs> give me the deets um, yeah. on science fiction because it, it's very much something that I've enjoyed as a as a medium. Mm-hmm. But understanding genre conventions and all the, all this sort of stuff is just right. a little bit beyond me. Um, mm. That isn't something I've dug into um, in terms of that inside baseball sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think uh, I I can I can pick at authors that I've enjoyed. Uh, or I think that have a great sense of place within the genre, or people that have um, reinvented the genre into different subgenres, like William Gibson, you know, mm-hmm. Herbert, and all, all this sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm very much uneducated in terms of modern science fiction and how that's translated yeah, to and we today. Have such a new wave of it, exactly. Now, that, yeah, that I think it's always a little, I guess, distressing when there's a science fiction conversation. And they're saying, "Well, you know, you read Asimov." Yeah, mm. like, I mean, not to take. Anything from Asimov because you know, I know I still remember reading Foundation and, yeah, and yeah. Mm. you know every so often you read a book and you sort of put it down you think oh I've never read anything yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like yep, that, that before, before. Yep. Um, but it's a little bit like talking fantasy and saying well of course so the Lord of the Rings yeah, yeah. You know, not mm. that it's not using that as your only frame of reference but exactly yeah. you know we've done some stuff since then yeah <laughs> uh, so I think that's you know. Mm. There's so much great stuff now. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to me that so much TV and film is straight out science fiction. Mm. And I mean, it's not even pretending to be something mm. else. It just is. Yeah. And yet people say, oh, I don't read science fiction. Mm. Like, yeah. Interesting, because you consume it so enthusiastically yeah. elsewhere. What's the barrier? Mm. Yeah. In, in, in many ways, I think that science fiction almost is an easier sell than fantasy in, in some regards, because science fiction is a lot... Um, closer to home in in mm. terms of where we are. Mm. It it was something I was having a conversation with someone, and we were talking about science fiction being um, and probably becoming more of a big deal in terms of where we are currently mm. in our technological curve as a society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. we have a lot of questions right now. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. while we have developed a lot of new systems and a lot of intelligences around this new wave. The, the our literature is just catching up to it, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to talk about 
uh, talk about these topics. And Absolutely. I can think of no better guests to have uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let, let's start off with uh, a few things. Let, let's talk mm. about YA first. Sure. Um, your wheelhouse, as it yeah, is, Yeah, YA is, is my um, wheelhouse for sure. Mm. And where, where do you think science fiction has a place in that? And where do you think it's come from? So it's it's really interesting. I think mm. in in the US it mm. is a suddenly rising force right. very much. And I mean I refer to the US because that's the biggest YA market in the world yeah. obviously and we all follow it. Mm-hmm. And you know we are producing actually some pretty amazing science fiction here in Australia but mm. you know the the big deals happen there and the big books with the, yeah. the follow on kind of come here. Yeah. And it was interesting back when I was writing my my first series, which I guess I must have been drafting in about 2010. Mm-hmm. It was accepted as law that you could not sell science fiction in YA, mm. and, and I was told this over and over and really? over again. Yeah. Well, one thing is they weren't making it up either. It was yep. hard mm. to do. And I remember having a conversation with my co-author Meg, in which we said to each other, "Okay, so we need to really be on board here with the fact that we are probably not going to sell this." Yeah. Mm-hmm. but we're going to write it anyway because we took really seriously that rule that says just write what you love because yeah. the odds are pretty high with any book you write that no one's going to buy it from you. So you may as well have some fun. <laughs> yeah, You know, you may as well come yeah. out the end with something you at least enjoy. Yeah, because, I'm proud of, yeah. You know, and there's also that whole, you know, if you try to chase a trend, it yeah. sort of ends up, I mean, for a start... It's already it gone. Up, it, yeah, for a start, by the time you can identify it, it's far too late. Yeah. Mm. But also, I think it tends to lack a bit of soul if you're just trying to do it. It feels like it's written by a committee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, oh, I'll throw in all the things that they love. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we... And then in 2010, a book called Across the Universe sold in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was by an author called Beth Revis, and it sold for what was rumoured to be a truly vast amount of money. Mm-hmm. And all the different publishers were bidding for it. And it was a murder mystery set in space. Mm. And um, y- years later, the film Passengers actually turned out to be quite like it. But it, yeah. there was no connection between them. Right. But it's about someone who wakes up mid-voyage. Okay. Mm. Um, and suddenly, because this one book had sold and created all this buzz, all the publishers who had missed out were like, uh, do we need a space book? Yeah. Maybe we need a space book. <laughs> <laughs> and In those words, exactly. My agent was like, here's one we prepared earlier. Yeah. <laughs> because we had just finished ours about, <laughs> and yep. sent it to our agents about a week before. And they were like, excellent timing, ladies. Yeah. Uh, and away we went to the races. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, I think that was sort of the first sort of wave of it where mm. a, a few clustered together. Mm. And... Um, and they did well and people began to sort of take notice, but it was still considered to be incredibly an incredibly hard sell, mm. um, particularly space books, but generally anything sort of science fiction-y yeah. unless we're sectioning off dystopia right. because obviously 2012 mm. was the great yeah. wave of dystopian fiction coming yep. through, mm-hmm. which all sold about 2010, and most of that is science fiction. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then sort of... Somewhere around sort of 2014, 2015, I know certainly by the time Illuminate, which is my mm. second series, was coming out, um, space books were starting to have a moment. Mm. And I think it's one of those things where when something starts to have a moment but there's only a few books representing it, mm. it all rests on the fate of those few books. Mm. That if those three or four titles yeah. do well, yeah. then suddenly it's, it's the, the precedent. Yeah, yep. And, you know, everyone needs to be in that. And if they don't do well, well, clearly nothing like that can do well. Mm. Yeah. Which is a terrible yeah. <laughs> system and makes no sense but yep. this is where we find ourselves yeah. Yeah. you know so this is the business decision, yeah. mm. uh, and now i mean there are quote space books end quote mm. coming from every major publisher in the u.s yeah. uh you know in in numbers mm. um I, I know because i'm 
being emailed multiple times a week, being asked to blurb them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> how, well, having had one of the start of that wave of space books yeah. coming out and, mm-hmm. you know, lucky me it's done well, so they want... They want quotes. And we've also got it happening in Australia as well now. So uh, a book that just came out here is called In the Dark Spaces mm-hmm. by Callie Black, mm. uh, and which I thought was utterly fantastic. Mm. I read it all in one sitting mm. and yep. I, it's hard to get me to do that. Mm-hmm. And that won the Ampersand Prize, which yeah. is, you know, a writing prize from Hardy Grant Egmont. Mm. Uh, that won that couple of years back so again they were already starting to think yeah. you know this is going it's it's not just a great book it's also a great book that we believe we can get people to buy yeah because that obviously has to be a yeah. part of the equation That's yeah true. Uh, and you know if it, if it was just down to being a sensational book it would probably the system would look quite different you know yeah um it's why you can't sell a vampire book now and you can't sell a dystopian book now because mm. <laughs> we maxed out on them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you reached um, the quota <laughs> well, but it's so I was at Bendigo Writers Festival a few weeks ago yeah. and I was on this panel about speculative mm. fiction yeah. and uh, we had a literary author with us. And mm. it's interesting because oftentimes literary authors get terribly offended when you suggest they might be writing some type of speculative fiction. Right. Um, you know, Margaret Atwood famously won, I think it was the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which is a mm. well-known science fiction award uh, for, I think, The Handmaid's Tale. And she mm. was not... Yeah. Not, Not as delighted as I think that that committee had perhaps anticipated uh, because she did not want to be considered science yes. fiction. Mm. Uh, so we were having this really interesting discussion on this panel mm. and one of the things we were talking about was this idea that stuff sort of has a crest in genre mm. where it becomes sort of the of the moment thing yeah. and then it has a dip that comes after that. But during that dip, often the literary writers will move in and yes. take that device yep. mm. and start to yeah. use yeah. it. Yeah, Comac McCarthy's um, Road being mm. one of those. Right, yeah. or, yeah, you know, yeah, you look at, I mean, we were talking about time travel, yeah. which is yeah, often right. seen as like a lit- like time traveler's wife is a science yep. fiction book. Yep, yep. But it's not marketed that way. Yeah. It's not considered that way. No, not at and, all. And often the, the literary writers are like quite surprised to find themselves. Yeah. Mm. You know. Writing in that genre. Yeah. And, and they don't they don't know that they are. Mm. Yeah. And and so we were talking about, you know, and, and, and happily for us, the lady that we were speaking with didn't feel that way at all. She was quite tickled when yeah. she found out <laughs> and started reading more about the conventions and mm, trying yeah. to sort of learn about how it worked. But mm. I don't know, we're really having a moment right now um, mm. with I think in terms of YA science fiction, which is what I do, mm. but also adult with series like The Expanse, which mm-hmm. then has moved into TV. Yeah. And it's mm. sort of, I think there's a lot of room for the epic yeah. right now. Mm. I, it's curious because I you mentioned dystopia there. Mm. And, and you're right, and in some ways it's fallen off. But I think a lot of the discussion about dystopia has now suddenly become a big thing. I yeah. because why. We've <laughs> just realized, oh, wait, that was a big thing. We should probably talk about it. I mean, um, should, should those be in the nonfiction? Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Um, yep. <laughs> oh, how we laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the nervous oh. chuckles. Well, um, yep. It, sorry, Joel. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing because, yeah, you're right. Suddenly the, uh, the dystopian, people have begun talking more, like the world kind of has shaken a bit. Um, and, you know, you've had the from Brexit through to the, um, the rise of the far right across Europe, through the, um, the political instability in the United States. There's been so much mm. happening yeah. that people begin to look and say, well, what have these writers been saying about uh, what a dystopia is, what, it, what right. it means, how it would affect people? You know, because we're, we're afraid that what we've known to be normal 
normal might actually have some, just like science fiction has kind of been ahead of, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of technology, has been ahead. And people used to look at uh, Star Trek or Star Wars and say that could never happen and suddenly some things begin popping up, you know. Uh, I wonder if that's kind of what's happening with dystopia at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because when I when I look at some of the bigger names, at least the ones that, you know, the pop-up, the, the American mm-hmm. releases that we always hear about, like... Um, the Hunger Games series and all this sort mm-hmm. of stuff, it, more in a, in the YA focus than than for the mm-hmm. adults, um, c- came before a lot of this. You yeah. know what you mentioned, and um, what and it, it captured something that um, was predominantly for a lot of science fiction geeks and nerds, and mm-hmm. just you know we love that kind of the 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 hopeful the you know the what yeah. if. A scenario of Star Wars and Star mm-hmm. Trek, and and you know Star Trek in many yes. ways is a very political show about solving people's problems, it and it a, ends well. I mean, talk about media. I'm in the middle of a full Star Trek rewatch. There you go. Of all, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you can okay. you, this sort of constant. You know, it's green people and blue people, but mm-hmm. it's it's still it's still talking about these topics. Absolutely. Um, mm. and. And and it's hopeful that there's a sense of hope and, and happiness mm. in that well, show. And the thing is, I think that these YA dystopian series also carry a sense of hope because mm. their overwhelming message is one one person can change the world. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what all of them are saying over yeah. and over again. Mm. Because I mean, I think all authors, intentionally or otherwise, we write in response to what's happening around yeah. us. We yep. even when we don't think we are just subconsciously. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, most of my American friends didn't get anything written for the first couple of months of this year. They were all so distressed mm. that they were trying really hard to write. Mm. And, you know, I have piles of kind of American YA writer pen pals who we, we swap manuscripts and we chat. And I was hearing independently from so many of them, I just can't write right now. I sit down mm. and I, I can't do it. And then somewhere somewhere a few months into the year, they all started to write again. Mm. And I think it was that they had finished processing their horror and had mm. moved on to attempting a response of some description. Mm-hmm. And this other thing that I've been hearing from all of them as this kind of like little, like I'd say over the last maybe month, this sort of dawning, you know, I think what I'm writing right now is actually quite political. <laughs> and they're yeah. all saying it. Yeah. Um, and and mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me because it just really, I guess, underlines that we don't set out to do it, mm. but we always write in response mm. to what's happening mm. around us. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that the YA dystopia wave did that. I think that mm-hmm. that was a whole bunch of writers looking at what they were seeing in the world, thinking about where they thought things were heading, mm. picking up early signs and starting to write in response to those questions mm-hmm. and and talking about, you know, revolution and the power of, of the individual and of the small group. Mm. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many stories set in space now is because you know, when we all look up, when mm. we all work, you know, space for us summons this idea of working together mm. to get to a place, you know, in, yeah. in our finest traditions. And mm. I think we're all kind of circling that idea that when we pull together and we look up, things go better. Mm. And when we're, you know, earthbound, things don't. So. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. And you do see those trends when you look back at uh, at older uh, books. So, I mean, mm. 1984 suddenly has become headed back to the back to back the bestsellers list. Yeah, back to the New York Times, yeah, back to the New York Times. Yep. Um, and it didn't buy its way in there. Uh, whoa, there we go, topical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but yes, yeah, I mean, so you know what else is interesting there though is that mm. generally the New York Times doesn't deal with backlist. Mm. So, for instance, like otherwise, Doctor Seuss would be the top of the children's list every week. Yeah, because yeah. that sells more than anything else. Mm. And so it's meant to be a list of newish books. Mm. And so when 1984 reappeared yeah. on the New York Times bestseller list, ostensibly 
ostensibly that was because there was, I think it was like a new reissue that got a new ISBN. Yeah. Mm, right. It was an editorial decision. Yeah. yeah you right. know, that was... So, to, to highlight that. To highlight yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the number of sales. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which is really interesting. And, and also thinking about um, The Handmaid's Tale, which uh, which was written, I was thinking about it actually watching the TV series again and having not read the book for quite a while. I was thinking about the influences that uh, Margaret Atwood would have, would have faced at the time of writing, you know, thinking about the nuclear kind of effects of things and, you know, children not being able to be born and all those kind of things that lead to the dystopian situation you see there. You can see those influences in her mm. writing. And it's, um, it's, it's interesting that once again, the, the possibility of something like that uh, dystopia like that happening has come back into our minds. And yeah, she, she was picking up on things a long time ago. I guess it points to the fact that there's still these stories are timeless, the concerns that they express. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they are. And mm. we sort of have a cycle that, I mean, not, not, always A, B, C, D, then back to A, B, C, D. Yeah, but, but they, they yeah. come and they go. There's Yeah, it, it follows a kind of cyclic world culture as well where, yeah. you know, we have our ebb and flows in culture and we have, uh, you know, all the ways we go through and deal mm. with issues really revolve around repeating old mistakes and then and changing them and then hoping for the best and then, you know, mm. these things come back. Yeah, well, and... This is going to be one of those things that sounds like it's not relevant, but I promise it That's is. Right. Oh, yeah. um, I am full of those. Go for it. I feel it. like I'm in the right place. <laughs> yes, you certainly are. <laughs> um, Great company. I, I read this article, uh, I think in the New York Times a while back, and they were talking about the idea that mm. there are two kinds of leader, and by that they meant like president or mm. prime minister or yeah. what have you, that there's the transformational and the transactional. Right. And the yeah. transaction, and, and that neither is intrinsically bad. It's yeah. more a case of sometimes we need one and sometimes we yeah. need the other. And that mm. mostly what we have are transactional leaders who say things like, if you vote me in, I will lower your yeah. tax and I mm. will do X, Y, Z. And yep. we all think, well, that sounds attractive or yeah, not yeah. and we vote. Mm. And then every so often we have a transformational leader. And those are people like JFK's we are going to the moon yeah, moment, yeah. you know, or yeah. arguably, you know, um, Obama's first in, um, inauguration speech, yeah. you know, mm. the the we're going to do this like that yeah. that every so often when we decide that we need a transformational leader mm. it, it it is this i mean it's not like we all get together and yet yeah. somehow it happens yeah, you yeah. know somehow mm-hmm. the the voters all somehow managed to indicate that that's the kind of thing we're looking for mm. and i mean the point of this article was i think they were suggesting um that when malcolm turnbull came in that a lot of people felt he was going to be a transformational mm. leader and that then yep. in the six months following it became clear that he had, you know, for better or worse, done deals with various factions mm. of his own party and was more transactional than people had wanted and the article was arguing mm. this is why people are responding so poorly. Mm-hmm. And it sort of made me think about the fact that, I mean, right now in the US, again, for better or worse, we have a transformational mm. leader. Yeah. Transformational yeah. leaders are not always people who take us to the moon. They're people who reflect a great upswelling mm. of some kind of opinion. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like our literature responds to that as well, which is mm. I was, all of that was by way of getting... <laughs> right. <laughs> getting to the hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all that was by way of saying that I think often when we have a new wave of like a sort of a new type of book coming mm. to the fore, mm. it reflects some great change in leadership, I think. You know, yeah. I, I'd be so mm. interested to see it kind of mapped against, you know, US presidents mm-hmm. in terms of when we have someone come in and, you know, who inspires everyone and gets them all fired up and whatever, mm. what types of books are we writing mm. versus when everyone feels like things are just sort of a bit pedestrian and just mm. chugging along and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, mm. you know, or, or not, but not that badly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that prompting, you know, is that causing people to change the type of stuff mm. they're writing about or mm. do people sort of very much stay the same? Because mm. I think sci-fi in particular responds to that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes, sci-fi in in both its um, content, but I I think also in its context, it's because of that future looking, it mm. is either a positive, a negative, or yeah. somewhere of a malaise um, where we we consider um, what, where where if we stay doing exactly what we're doing right now, what is the potential What's it be like? yeah. um, in mm. you know x amount of years? Yeah, and if we adjust it by one degree this way or yeah, that way, the, those then swings. what happens? Yeah, um, and I mean, there's a reason. I mean, there are multiple reasons. There's a reason that there isn't that much utopian literature. And it's Mm. not just that stories are boring when nothing goes wrong. (laughs) I mean, fundamentally, they are, obviously. You know, Mm. stories stories require change. Yeah, Mm. they require change. And they're always about the day that things didn't go according to plan. But it's Mm. not just that. It's that, like, science fiction, anything that is sort of set from even the near future on is about examining where are we going on our current course and what would we have to change and what do, what would these little course adjustments look like and what would they cause? Mm. And it's also these, like, um, these Soviet-era, um, you know, reactionary science fiction mm. um, books mm. where there was a very utopian ideal where it's yeah. like, imagine if all of this wasn't actually happening, but it was still great, though. Yeah. And then, you know, you have this, and we reflected it even in the art where a mm. lot of Soviet writers were, you know, this sort of utopian ideal of this great communist state Mm -hmm. in the far future, right? Um, And, yeah, and and I wonder whether maybe, but I wonder if that's Mm. coming back eventually, where we'll eventually go through that uh, thing Mm. again. I think so. Because I think, I mean, right now we've got sort of a group of, I mean, leaving aside the the outliers who are very young published authors, because there aren't many of those, there's a bunch of kind of science fiction authors in their 20s and 30s who are now writing, I think, in kind of dual response to both what they grew up with and what they are Mm. now witnessing. Because, you know, for people who are in their mid-30s now, it was sort of, you know, and I'm one of them, when we were kind of coming through primary school was when the very first really strong environmental messages were coming. That was sort of when we were beginning to hear, you know, I remember going home in grade three, the Exxon Valdez oil spill happened when I was in year six. And, you know, I I did a project on it and learned about it and stuff. And I think Mm. that stuff, I mean, it's not that oil wasn't spilling prior to that, but it was not seen as any kind of emergency. It was like, whoops. Scoop that up if we can. Yeah. You know? And and so I think for the group of authors who came through as kind of children of the 80s mm. and, and then kind of became more politically active in the 90s, we're seeing a lot of environmental stuff yeah. coming from those authors because yeah. that's yeah. the stuff. You know, I think every generation has one. The defining. Has the, the defining thing, you know, whether it's sort of – that. that influences their behaviors i mean Mm. you know and the the really obvious ones are you know you look at like the children of the depression who Mm. you know for the most part stayed thrifty and really Mm. appreciated their you know their good fortune and their belongings for the rest of their lives and you know Mm. you look at the children of various war generations yeah and then you look at the kids of the 80s who came through with this environmental realization and then had the gulf war Mm. at the end of it yeah I mean, you know, it was a childhood that told you this is precarious. Yeah. Mm. And not only is it precarious, but no one seems to be paying attention to mm. this problem that seems very obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, yeah, you do very much. You see stuff, in, I guess, in response to the issues of the day, but also mm. 
the the years you came out of. Mm. And we're kind of looking at the at the moment. Um, wow, we're getting quite political, but I think it's important. <laughs> you know, at the, at the moment, uh, you know, we're we're facing a shift now in the world, and it's something that we've kind of sensed uh, with these major political shifts that uh, the world in the '90s, you know, growing up, very much felt like there's an established order mm-hmm. that is unlikely to change. Trade is increasing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the world is getting safer as a result. Yep. And then you get uh, rogue figures coming in, the transformational leader in the United States coming mm-hmm. in unexpectedly. Um, and, uh, you know, European Union being slightly broken up by Britain leaving and suddenly... Yeah, and huge waves of refugees. That's and, right, huge waves know. of refugees. You look at what's happening and you think, well, that is um, incredibly concerning. I mean, here in Australia as well, we have um, a situation where we've got uh, refugees locked up indefinitely, yeah. uh, which we're spending billions of dollars on, and we all know it's happening. The world is uh, feels to me... Uh, unsettled on a, on a macro and, a, and a, in some ways a micro scale. Mm. But the, the things yeah. that I took for granted when I was growing up, um, now that I'm a little older, again in my 30s, mm. um, I am concerned that the things that I was even told at university appear to be being shaken, you know, that... Yeah. Yeah, and in a way that we didn't see coming. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously did. should have, but... Mm. Yeah, should have seen the signs. Doing this some terrible management course once but this one thing that they well many of them yeah you've done a great management course i'm just trying to yeah Yeah, right but 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 this one thing they said really interested me and they talked about how new teams form Mm. and they said they go through Mm. four stages they go through what are they storming forming norming Norming. and performing yeah yeah and but it it feels a little like we and and the thing is at the time i was like oh look you made it right (laughs) (laughs) congratulations but tell me we're not storming right now yeah. So for those unfamiliar with this, the idea is storming is, you know, nothing's mm. being done efficiently and everyone's kind of running around. Mm. Uh, you know, forming is when you begin to pack down into systems and work out what's important and how it's going to be. Norming is obviously, you know, you've then got your norms and, and those who hadn't already complied with them do. And then performing is you do the thing. Oh. Your, yep. your boss prays you do the thing because you've spent all this time <laughs> doing the other bits. But, you know, tell me we're not storming yeah. right yeah. now, you know. And, and it's a fight mm. for the kind of forming and norming stages about yeah. what are those going to be. Yeah, what are those going to look like? Yeah. And who's who's doing and, Yeah, and who's mm. yeah, whose norm are we heading towards? Yep. So And and we see this this um within within this this um counter or reaction to any social uh, you know economic political change mm. uh, we have counters to that but we also have the counters of the counters you know mm-hmm. of of critiquing the critique in yep. some sense absolutely and and by doing this this kind of I think, you know, as I mentioned at the start, we're in this new phase. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the technology uh, mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um, there's a show called Black Mirror, and some of you might have watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, while the show can is great, and sometimes there's also the episodes where you sort of roll your eyes, and you're like, <laughs> okay, everyone's scared of Facebook. We get it. Um, but <laughs> it, it is a good show, and, and, and they do do some good yeah. stuff. It, yeah, it has that Twilight zone sort of feel to it. Um, but it's interesting because that show predominantly is about, you know, our technology mm. and where we're looking at it. And science fiction is very, while the mechanics of it are talking about the future, a lot mm. of that future is sometimes reflected mm. in the way we're moving forward in how we're developing technology. Yes. Um, and, yeah, there's this there's this one one push where we see it in an optimistic light where we see socializing becoming mm-hmm. bigger and mm. wider, you know, and then we see these these uh, this kind of media that comes out of sort of like Mr. Robot, mm-hmm. where mm. there's a negative spin on this, right. Uh, right, yeah. where there's the 
you know, um, uh, these tortured characters, which have a lot to do with the technology around yeah. them. And, and it would all be better without it. Exactly. Yeah. And there's this hacking. And maybe there's a little bit of, you know, dreaming of a the countryside of green and, you know, forget yeah. the skyscrapers. So, again, we've got this counter of this counter going on here. Yeah. How do you see technology um, impacting the way we move forward? Like, do you think it'll be uh, positioned in a positive light or, you know? Oh, that's a really interesting question. So... I mean, the obviously on a craft level, mm -hmm. the really the serious challenge with technology is that we are developing it yeah. at a faster rate yeah. than we can imagine yeah. it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've literally seen friends have books moved forward in publication because the technology that they were Talking positing about, as yeah. fictional was yeah. on the verge of breaking into the marketplace, yeah. and the book had to come out now. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it is. I mean, just on a on a pure craft level, it is yeah. really hard to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. and. I think it's interesting. I once, Anna Campbell is a fantastic historical romance writer who once talked about uh, this world building hmm. uh, trick that she uses, which is she said in order to kind of tell us who your character is and a lot about their world without having to go into, you know, the dreaded exposition dump, yep. <laughs> you show us what they are noticing and what they are not noticing and how they feel about it. Hmm. So her example was, you know, a very fancy drawing room in some kind of Pride and Prej style manor house. Mm -hmm. And first of all, and she was reading out a couple of sections. And first of all, we had like the Lord of the Manor mm -hmm. and he was leaning on this priceless mantelpiece and sort of looking at the carving on it. And he was not, A, not particularly impressed by the carving. It was just mm. there. Yeah. And secondly, he knew what all the carvings were depicting because mm. he had the level of education to just look yep. at it and in Instantly no. no. Mm. And then later we saw, you know, poor girl from the village in the same room and she was awestruck by the mm. same stuff that he was so seeing. Yeah, and she right. was noticing lots of little details that he hadn't, mm. like, you know, the plush velvet on the wallpaper and things mm. like that. that. Just sort of skimmed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, that's exactly what we do in sci-fi oh. with technology mm. is it's not a fun paragraph to say, you know, I picked up my personal communicator device. In mm. the olden days, I believe yeah. that they, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th this is, it's hard though. Cause, mm. I mean, I saw this in a, in a book I read recently. Like, they, the person got on some kind of fancy electric train and thought, you know, these used to be fueled, but these days they hummed along yeah, with yeah, whatever yeah. time. And I yeah. thought, gosh, I don't get on the train in the morning and think, this used to be a steam train. <laughs> but now... You know, oh, I wish it was a steam train. Yeah. It would still be faster than Metro. But, you know. Whoa. Hey, oh. It's not even. It's, if it's the truth. Is that controversial? Yeah. Wow. yeah. This is yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. I don't think so. Political? Nope. Speaking of someone who currently doesn't have a train line after yeah. 8 p.m., I oh. feel entitled yeah. to. Fair you know. enough. Fair enough. But, um, what if the world was filled with puffing billies? They are. <laughs> it would go faster. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, mm. but, you know, we don't think that way. So. Yeah. I a character wouldn't in the character is wouldn't not true. either. Yeah, mm. exactly. So what you want instead is your character using Actors stuff naturally. and either noticing yeah. it or not and thinking it's unusual or not thinking it's unusual. Mm, and yeah, that's right. kind of what tells you yeah. about the technology of their world. But this means of course that you have to spend an enormous amount of time thinking, okay, what is their technology? Yes. What does yeah. it look like? And which means you spend an enormous amount of time just sort of <sighs> Doing stuff that you occasionally feel like you're not working at all because what you're doing is like thumbing through National Geographic yeah. Yeah. and thinking, you know, thinking and staring and wool gathering and mm. watching documentaries and, you Googling. know, hanging mm. out on Pinterest and, <laughs> you know, and I mean, the thing is, there is a point at which that is no longer work. Yeah. There's a point at which it <laughs> yeah. is time to write yeah. the story. <laughs> but there's also a point at which if you're not doing that, you're yep. writing yeah. a, a shallow, uninteresting yep. story. Yep. So finding the sweet spot the is, is the daily challenge for all of us, I think. Mm. Yep. But... It means I spend a lot of time thinking about 
technology yeah. and, and the mm. form it will take and how it will impact our lives because, I mean, gosh, remember before iPhones? Yeah. You know, yep. yeah. remember before mobile phones yeah. when, you know, at least here in Melbourne, you'd say to someone, I'm going to meet you under the clocks at under Flinders clock. Street yes. yeah. and I'll see you at one. Mm-hmm. And if I don't see you at one, I'll see you at one thirty. And if I don't see you at one thirty, I'll see you at two. And if I don't see you at two, <laughs> go with God. Yeah. Like, that was, you know, and yeah. that was it. And sometimes yeah. you'd just like not find someone and, and the thing is you just you'd find the most convenient spot to meet you wouldn't find the best restaurant to meet yeah. or you know the mm. tastiest food in town or a really nice place you had you'd no find what to, everyone knows yeah and you had no way to look that up anyway. yeah yep. so, you just had to get there yeah mm-hmm. and so i mean it's when you look at just what has happened to us in the last few years yeah. you know there's mm-hmm. a breakdown of things where it's 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 really interesting to talk about these topics yeah. because you begin to look at the world differently in terms of we rely so much on shared knowledge. Yeah. Mm. Shared knowledge is mm. probably the most um, priceless commodity that we mm. can't do without today. Right. Yep. We would probably okay. get nowhere any day of the week without shared knowledge. Yep. Even though the three of us have grown up in a time where there was no mobile phones yep. and you know We've phone bills was super expensive mm-hmm. and you don't want to call people from overseas. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you'd wait for well, them that. to call you yep. because that was cheaper. Yep. And and this, but we forget. We forget because it's Very natural. Quickly, yeah. We evolve mm. and we adapt to to technology. Well, some people adapt. <laughs> um, I sort of flag behind. Um, but yeah, it's it's that it's that way of looking at the world. And then when you put it put it down on paper and then you look forward, it just becomes in- exponentially more difficult. That well, and so the thing mm. is, it actually becomes impossible. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> so true. all you Sorry. can do is rely on flawed knowledge to mm-hmm. predict. And, you know, we see that even in um, – and, and, you know, it's interesting recommending a friend hmm. – um, oh, my goodness. I can't believe I've just blanked on the name uh, – uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. Recommending a friend mm-hmm. and me being like, oh, it's such a good movie. You should watch this. And he's a 18-year-old kid. Right. Uh, and he watches it and he said, now nah, that was real dumb. It's, like, really boring. And I did not – like, what yeah. was the point? Because – you know, yeah. I think you sort of had to be there. Exactly. <laughs> like, and I'd be like, hey, so, so this thing here was, mm. and this haircut here was, and this couch uh-huh. design here, and mm. and all of these things. I think science fiction, while there are some science fiction books that are infinitely transferable, mm. a lot of it has an expiry I, date. I, look, I think it does mm. because, and I think, like, I, I think, yeah, there, sometimes the story is universal, but it dates yes. itself because the technology over, overdates yeah. it. Yeah. And, I mean, the thing is, I mean, a lot of the stuff I write is set, you know, in the year 2500. Mm. And, <laughs> and you know. Like, I, I know with absolute certainty in the year 2500. that it will not look anything like what yes. I'm writing. Yeah, because yeah. the truth is my tiny little monkey brain yep. cannot can... imagine what mm. life will be like. So what I'm really doing is taking the technology that we have today mm. and fast forwarding it just a little bit and then setting it further into the future. Yeah. But th- that is that's all we can do, mm. you know. It's fun because we we imagine linearity. You yeah. know, we imagine a very set path. We don't yeah. we don't really consider the the variables because you can't. Well, I mean, and there's only so much. There's only so many branches you can do in your little what if tree, yeah. you know? Yep. You can you can do three or four, well it could be this or it could be this or this or this. Mm. But then each of those has 10 branches yeah. and you very quickly just can't no, it's you true. can't follow them, and there are leaps in there that us three just can't. No, in, yeah. That maybe one person alive today can imagine. Yeah, you know. And yep. I think a, a friend was um, 
I was talking to a friend on the way and he said that his five-year-old son mm. uh, has been trying to get his head around the idea of infinity. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he said to his teacher, what number is infinity minus one? Mm. And she said, well, you know, but I don't know. And he said, but it must be a number because it's less than infinity. Oh. And she said, you, you know, the eyes were already starting to cross. Yeah. Said, well, <laughs> technically, yes. Yeah. So why do you need to know this? And he said, well, because <laughs> I want to... I want to be able to measure infinity and I figure if I can just find out what infinity oh goodness, minus one yeah. is, then all I have to wow. do is add one yeah, and yeah, I'll yeah. have it. Smart. And, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, friend is trying to explain this idea of it's more a concept mm. than a number, which mm. isn't going down super well nope. because... <laughs> Children are materialists. Well, and it seems to the five-year-old like the opposite of infinity is zero and yep. he can right. get zero. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it must be there somewhere. And then the kid pops out and you can tell he's being raised by nerds with infinite multiverses, right? To which mm. dad says yes. And he said, so in one of them, I must get this. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. I know, right? And dad says, this yes. Kid. And he goes, well, this could be the one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh. I know my friend rang me to lament the problems of having a five-year-old more Man. intelligent than he is. Right. And yeah. my friend's pretty smart. So yeah. So, yeah, this kid could end up ruling us. But, yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't have thought about it no. that way. And yeah. it's just, I love these constant reminders that... I'm never going to guess right. Mm. But the thing is, that's not what sci-fi is that's for. That's not what it's about. It's not about... It's speculation. Yeah, it's it's mm. speculative fiction. It's mm. not literally because you're interested in knowing what I think the type of personal communication device will have yeah. in 100 years will be. Mm. You want to know... The effect. Wh- yeah, what are some ripples that yeah. might come from that? And that's what's so interesting. And I, and I think one of the takeaways for especially a lot of like younger science fiction mm. writers getting into it, I think it is that... Not to get while the technology is very interesting, and I think there is a difference to be made here between hard mm. sci-fi and and not. Yeah. Um, but for for what I read and the and the kind of sci-fi that mm. I do enjoy, it's it's that's it's exactly what I look forward to is the repercussions and the questions yeah. and you know what if scenarios, and I think that's what science fiction really does. Yeah, look, I mean, I think generally what I'm looking for is a healthy dose of the what ifs and the questions and then the science that there is, I want it to be either plausible or provable. It doesn't all have to be provable. have some touchstone so we can relate to. Yeah, well, because I mean, you know, in 500 years, the the rules of physics aren't going to be changed. Yeah, exactly. So why? why, why? So some things will still be the same. So, you know, and I mean, a lot of people say with science fiction, you kind of get one gimme, like one wormholes work and we can travel through them or we've achieved warp speed. And, you know, the one thing that you kind of don't have to explain, partly because if you don't explain it, then you can't explain how it literally doesn't fit with the laws of physics. But you can't have endless things that way because if you have, then you're writing fantasy and it just happens Mm. to be, you know, set in space or or wherever. But I am, I think, more interested in science fiction that is plausible or provable science with those big questions rather than let's explore this cool science fiction technology gadget question yeah which and there's space for that there is definitely that's just space. less the stuff that i go to i'm more mm. about the questions so yeah. that come out of it um well you wouldn't mm. have believed it ladies and gentlemen we had a lot of fun time and it's been an hour and six <laughs> minutes i think so let's wow. uh doesn't surprise yeah, let's let's wrap this up so um amy let's start with you where can people mm-hmm. find you um it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and oh. we should do this again sometime in the future. <laughs> yes, please. Um so where can people find you uh social media links and what have you got coming up for us? Uh all right, so they can find me on Twitter at Amy Kaufman and uh Instagram at mm-hmm. Amy Kaufman Author because mm-hmm. a lady in Louisiana took my username. How dare. Damn it, lady in Louisiana. Go I know, on. right. Three photos in 2012, nothing since. Oh. Get out. Come on. Rage uh, quit. Yep. I know. I know. <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. Yep. Uh, but 
I also have, I think the best way to track me is to head to my website, which is just amykoffman.com mm-hmm. and sign up for my mailing list because I have mm. infinite amounts of mostly unannounced touring coming up <laughs> uh, in Australia and the US yep. that will be announced at some point in the near future, I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the best way to kind of find out if I'm going to be in the city where you are is to, to be subscribed to that newsletter. Fantastic. Ian, where can people find you? What have you got coming up? Yeah, so uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at IHLaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also check out uh, IHLaking.com. Um, and what's coming up? Well, I'm going to have a piece out in Victorian Writer about self-publishing uh, next next month. So I'll be tweeting that. So get on Twitter yep. and uh, hear what I have to say about the choices I've made and the things I've learned from them. Yep. So <laughs> you can avoid my mistakes. Yeah. Make sure yeah. you go to his Twitter. We like. screw up so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we paved the way. That's my yeah. motto. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so get to his Twitter, like, follow, and unsubscribe. And you can... <laughs> unsubscribe? Sorry, sorry, that just came out. Um, oh, my, sorry. oh, my sorry. word. Yeah, now, um, well, now we hear it. Anyway, yeah, anyway. There it is. Uh, Luke's coming back next week. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the podcast. You can find The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. You can find our Twitter at the underscore morning bell. Follow that account. <laughs> don't unfollow. Uh, don't unfollow that one. Ian's still salty. Um, yeah. yeah, he's still salty. He's still shaking. Um, you can find me at the pen of Joel. Uh, I don't tweet any- anything really, so there's no point in following me really. Um, I did write an article uh, talking about Lovecraft and his influences in fantasy and science fiction and horror, which I've been plugging for two weeks, and I will stop doing that after this episode, so thank you. Um, go read it. Uh, that's thepenofjoel.com. And thank you very much for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.